This is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. This is Bustin' Loose Baseball. I'm Grant, he's Danny, and Darius is alongside. You will hear from him in just a bit. Danny, the Nationals got themselves swept over the weekend by the Atlanta Braves. But Juan Soto's on fire, so that's worth tuning in for. How about hits in 13 in a row? And he's been on base in 20 in a row. It took a little while, but it is officially Soto season. It's happening, right? We talked that that this that this would come. It was clear. Just a matter of time for someone of that talent. And the keys to me, you could see it, that opposite field home run off a breaking ball that was off the plate is just vintage Juan Soto. As the weather gets hot and the ball starts carrying a little bit more, I think he was discouraged early on where a couple of his oppo shots, you know, were warning track flyouts or, or, or something to that effect, and he was trying to do too much. He doesn't have to try to do too much. Some guys do. Some guys that don't have that ability have to try really, really, really hard and muscle up, and they sacrifice batting average, and they sacrifice their ability to put the ball in play sometimes. He doesn't. He is one of those incredible elite one millionth of 1% type hitters Guys in their prime who can do that, like Albert Pujols, Miguel Cabrera, Juan Soto's in that club. I expect him to kind of continue this red-hot run. He'll finish where he normally finishes, right? Right around 275 to 290, somewhere in there, uh, with you know mid-30s home runs. The, the run totals, the walks are going to be there. He's too good not to have a streak like this. He has bumped his average about 30 points north over the last couple of weeks. He bottomed out at 214 back on June 24th or something like that. Since then, he's raised his average to up over 240 now. In fact, he's hitting 243 as the Nats get ready to play the Mariners at Nats Park tomorrow. 17 home runs, five more than anybody on the team, and 73 walks. Here's what's crazy about his walk total. couple things. Number one, Juan Soto has walked 20 more times than he's struck out. Absolutely unheard of in today's Major League Baseball. That in and of itself is one of the craziest stats you're going to see or hear from the first half. Nobody does that. It is borderline impossible in today's game, and Soto pulls it off. Partially, sure, because of the lack of other quality options in the lineups. There are times where you saw it yesterday, extra innings. He doesn't even go to the batter's box because he's intentionally walked and put at first base rather than getting in at bat with the game on the line with the Nationals having a lead-taking run at second base. But also because he spits on pitches, he's got plate discipline. This is one of the most accomplished young career, now just 23 years old, eyes at the plate that we've ever seen. And that's a big part of why he walks as much as he does. I I looked this up yesterday, though. So right now, I mentioned he has 20 more walks than anybody else in the sport, right? Insanity. You don't see that. I went through every single year over the last 15 or so years. There have been, I think it was one season that Joey Votto had where someone walked 20 more times than anybody else in baseball. It just doesn't happen. But the last time anybody's done it in back-to-back years was 0102 Barry Bonds. When he was roided out of his sense. mind, yeah. allegedly, allegedly. Quotes, uh, and he was hitting 73 home runs. 20 more walks than anyone else in the sport. Last year, he had over 30 more walks than anybody else in the sport. So if he finishes where he is right now, it'll be him and Bonds in the 2000s that have done this. It really is crazy, man. And it's just funny that we think about him having had this down year so far, which to some extent is true. There was a while where he was in a big rut and he wasn't Juan Soto. But his OPS is 871. It's essentially identical to Josh Bell's, who everybody's raving about should be in the All-Star game. He's got more home runs. He's got 
you know, 10 fewer RBI than Josh Bell, but it's just, it's funny based on expectations, like how we viewed his season. And then I would say 90 to 95% of big leaguers would kill for this year every single season. Yeah, it's his own fault. You set the bar so high, right? We're sitting there going, what's wrong with him? Well, just, he's having like a bad month or, or kind of whatever, hitting in some bad luck as well. I mean, that, that ridiculously poor start in terms of runners and scoring position, I think, kind of hurt our perception of what's going on with his year. But your, your, your walk point is actually a great one. And, and here's where I, I want to delve into that for a second. Because you combine this perfect storm of not much doing in the lineup, and the beneficiary's been Josh Bell, right, who's getting pitches to hit, and he's hitting them. He's doing an incredible job. Is has is having an all-star caliber season. Whether he makes it or not depends on what happens in front of him. But Bell's having an excellent year. His his best year probably of his career when you, when you go total offensive package. Although, I put up that 37 homer year in Pittsburgh that led to the trade. But anyway, he's, he's hitting really, really well right there in his prime. Not much around him, not much you're scared of. You combine that with a well wise beyond his years, preternatural batting eye. And the guy that that evokes is Barry Bonds. When Barry Bonds was a skinny kid at Arizona State, he had this. When he came into the league with the Pittsburgh Pirates and he was a 30-30-40-40 caliber guy, he had this. Before he turned into this home run hitting machine that every time he got a strike, he basically either homered or, you know, uh, hit it sharply somewhere. The best hitting we've ever seen was that time, for, for in, in, in my opinion. More so than, you know, Ted Williams, you know, smacking out a 400 average. I know that's controversial, but 73 home runs, someone that can do that with only seeing, you know, a strike or two every other game is just unbelievable. Soto's got that same ability. We saw that with Bryce Harper here that one year um, when, you know, this 2015 team didn't have a single other guy that had 20 home runs. And not only did Bryce Harper get walked a bleep ton, but whenever he did get a strike, he was doing damage with it. That's that much more difficult. If people are just pounding the strikes on against, you get in a rhythm, you get up to the plate, you're like Luis Garcia, you find something, you hit something, you, you know, you take your turn around the bases. You don't see a strike, but maybe once every other at bat. It's really, really hard to then stay in rhythm and keep doing that. So it's this perfect storm of walks, and we're watching Soto do that in, in real time, and it's uncanny. When he's in one of these hot stretches, though, one of these runs, where you get to watch him have these at-bats, and normally it's accompanied by the shuffle, and he's just so confident, and you can tell. He knows when he's in the batter's box that he's going to get on base, which he's doing you know, two times, three times a game during this recent run here. It's there's nothing else like it for me as a fan. It's just so rewarding. It's so awesome. I mentioned that he's hit safely in 13 straight. I mean, he was 17 of 41 going into Sunday with four doubles, three homers, six batted in, 14 walks, 13 runs scored during that streak. Second longest active streak in Major League Baseball behind Jose Altuve's 14 game hitting streak, and that 20 game on base streak, 500 on base during that time with 19 hits and, and 18 walks. In that process, second longest active streak in baseball behind C.J. Crone going into Sunday's play as well, who had been on base in 20 in a row. Soto's longest ever is 21. So if he can get on base in his next game, he ties that. If he can get on base in two straight, he'll have been on base in more games in a row right now in this stretch during this down season than he ever has been before. He leads Major League Baseball in a bunch of categories. Second in the National League now with an on-base that's approaching 400. So he's right back to where we thought he would be. And he's in the All-Star game for a second straight year out in L.A. He won't start. It'll take some help to get him in the starting lineup. What I'm curious about is, and we haven't heard this to my knowledge, unless you you know something I don't today that came down. I wonder if he's going to be back in the home run derby. 
Because remember, him versus Shohei Otani last year when they had to go to overtime and they were going back and forth hitting bombs, that was one of the best parts of the derby. And everyone will remember it for Pete Alonso going back-to-back and eventually— did he beat Soto or Mancini in the final? I think it might have been Mancini. I feel like it was Mancini, but they all run together. But Soto really was a big part of that event. He's such a huge star. I wonder if he'll get an opportunity to do that again because it didn't hinder him last year. He came out of the Derby hitting bombs, and he had one of the great second halves ever. No, you've seen some of the guys never be the same. I mean, I don't think Bobby Abreu hit more than like two or three home runs after he had that unbelievable and round still in Philadelphia. People use that. It's like the uh, we cover the, the commanders in D.C., but they used to be called the Redskins. They spent $100 million, Dan Snyder did, in his first offseason as owner in 2000. And for a couple years after that, he would buy anybody who was a free agent. And still, 20-plus years later, everyone acts like that's what they do when it's been a long, long <laughs> time. Right. Uh, Producer Darris, you've got the numbers on the finals last year. It was Pete Alonzo who became victorious in the finals over Trey, Trey Mancini. Trey Mancini hit 22 home runs. Pete Alonzo hit 23. Good that was awesome. And I was actually, weird story, so I was in Colorado at Coors Field. I got tickets that night from... One of the guys throwing in the home run derby to a hitter. I won't say who or out him. But because of that, I was near all of the families. So I was sitting literally next to Cedric Mullins' family the night before he was an all-star. Right in front of me was uh, Chris Bassett's wife. And uh, next to her was Matt Olson's wife. It was crazy. But we watched the home run derby with the Mancinis the night before the all-star game. That's pretty and, neat. Yeah, so so and, his, and then Mr. Mancini did pretty good. <laughs> exactly. So his mom and his dad just sitting right there and watching them see their son who had just overcome cancer in the home run derby. I mean, there were no dry awesome. eyes in, in that area. Uh, it was pretty pretty neat. All right. So uh, no Josh Bell in the All Star game. Let's get to that for a second. Highest OPS plus among players not initially selected to the game. He got snubbed. You could say that Austin Riley should be there, Ty France of the Mariners, Freddie Freeman of the Dodgers, Anthony Rizzo of the Yankees. They all have cases as well. But Matt Wyrick, NBCSW, posted this. Bell, 154 OPS+, plus, better than Riley's 146, France's 144, Freeman's 142, Rizzo's 141. Maybe one of the biggest snubs. Loaded first base field. We didn't expect him to make it. We talked about it on the pod a couple weeks ago because you knew Crone was going, because Goldschmidt's been ridiculous. He has had statistically maybe the fourth, fourth best season because Alonso's there as well in the National League at first base. But if one or two guys for whatever reason, can't or don't participate in the game, I could see Josh Bell being next man up type candidate in the NL. I think it's well put. He is a worthy candidate. He is. And I don't think he should be in over the guys that you listed ahead of him. And that's not a reflection on Josh Bell. It's a reflection of Paul Goldschmidt having a renaissance here. I mean, he looked to be in decline for a couple seasons in, in St. Louis. A really good player, really useful player. But this is now a few years ago Arizona Paul Goldschmidt tearing the league in half. C.J. Crone, as you said, is having an unbelievable first half. There are other guys that might make it ahead of him even still, but an all-star worthy season. And good for Josh Bell, man. I mean, first impressions matter so much, to your point. Like, you referenced earlier, again, what happened the first time you know, Dan Snyder bought the commanders and went on a spending spree. People still think that's what he does or that's what the team does. Josh Bell got off to the roughest of rough starts. I mean, he couldn't hit water if he fell out of a boat when he first got here after he got himself uh, COVID, after a ridiculous spring training, by the way, when he was just hitting nukes all over the place. And people still don't kind of give him his proper respect. People still sort of don't understand what they're watching here in terms of this guy. He is really, really, really good at this point. Again, I think he's sacrificing a little bit of power and a little bit of 
and who kind of add them done in his swing just to make more barrel contact and, and sort of now the line drives are carrying out. His, his bat to ball has been unbelievable. I have been beyond impressed with Josh Bell. He's a great dude, and I think he could be a really useful piece for a contender. You know, his path may not be at first base for the All-Star game, maybe as a you know, another DH or something like that. I'd love to see him go because it'd be cool for the guy who's done you know everything right since he's been here in Washington, DC, but an all-star worthy season for sure. One big difference for him this year when you're talking about sacrificing some power maybe his strikeouts he has 40 walks and 50 strikeouts those two numbers being so close together are surprising and only 50 k's and coming up on 90 games now is really impressive for him this is a guy for his career that has struck out about 18 percent of the time he has struck out as recently as two years ago 27 percent of the time uh, when he's played for a full season and been healthy with a longer sample, normally he's right around 17.5% to 19% strikeout rate. This year, 13.5%. It's that low? I didn't yeah. realize that. He's cut it down three full percentage points from one year ago, from 17.8 to thir- – in fact, let me do better math here. 13.6 from 17.8, 4%. That's a massive deal. Cut. Now, maybe that does mean a little bit less power, perhaps. Or, you know, I'm not sure. He's also been – Hitting with more luck. You know, batting average balls in play generally is going to be close to 300. Last year it was 276. The year before that it was 273. Well, that luck he didn't have is is coming back it's to the now. here. I mean, he, he's at 326 this season in BABIP. So, you know, he's he's kind of getting paid off for some of the, the bad luck the last couple of years. But, yeah, it's just been a tremendous season for him. And hopefully he'll join Soto ultimately in L.A. anymore, as you said. So many guys often don't go to the All-Star game. All right, without... Further ado, then, let's give out some individual awards for the Nationals this season. First half awards. Let's start with the Cy Young Award for the Washington Nationals. Who are you giving it to? I'll go Josiah Gray. Even though there's been a couple hiccup starts, there's been a couple bad. Uh, I think recently he had a, uh, a start where I think he gave up seven runs and, and, and not too distant of a time. He had that rough start against the Dodgers. But overall, the ratios are there. Uh, the, the strikeout numbers are there. The hits per nine are there. The strikeouts per walk. When he's right, you start to see the, the the damage that he can do with those multiple breaking pitches. I mean, there are times where it's almost like one of those, um, you go to the ballpark and you see one of those races, whether it's like the three hats and the different color hats and who's going to win the race. And sometimes it's the curveball doing the most damage. Lately, I feel like it's been the slider. His fastball, if he develops something else to kind of pitch off that fastball, it'll start to play up a bit. But you can see at times when guys are looking for that breaking ball and that fastball up in the zone, that 94-95 plays like it's 100. He's been their most consistent arm. There have been other guys that have had probably better you know, little runs here and there, but he has been their best and most consistent pitcher in my opinion. Yeah, I'll go Josiah Gray as well. He's been really good, and also I don't know that there's another option, to be completely honest, which speaks to – where the pitching staff is at. I mean, Corbin's ERA, while higher than his FIP still, is close to six. Fetty's earned run average after a rough one last time out is over five. Yoan Adone's ERA, he tacked on an extra point to his touchdown in 14 starts. It's 7.1 worst among regular starters. Aaron Sanchez, when he was starting, really struggled. Paolo Espino's been okay, but he doesn't miss any bats and you know doesn't get deep into outings at all. And the only other guys that have started games are Tatro and, and Josh Rogers, Evan Lee, and Erasmo Ramirez. So there's really no contender in terms of starting pitching. If you looked at the bullpen, maybe the runner-up would be somebody like Kyle Finnegan. Even though he's got an inflated ERA, gave up the lead trying to go two innings against the Braves the other day in Atlanta on Sunday. You know, he at least strikes out more batters than he pitches in innings, 41 Ks, 34 innings. 
Sishik uh, has not been consistent. Rainey at times has dominated. He's got 36 Ks and 30 innings. Yeah, he'd be my second-place finisher, Rainey would be. I-, I think I would go with Carl Edwards Jr., weirdly enough. Rainey's thrown in a couple more games, but Edwards, who strikes out a batter per inning, has a, a much lower whip than Sishik, Finnegan, and Rainey in the bullpen. So my ballot would probably be Gray 1, Edwards 2, Rainey 3. The only reason I flip Rainey and Edwards, Edwards is the other nominee that, that I'd have as well, that uh, strikeouts per nine is the only other double-digit strikeout per nine guy that's got any innings, uh, meaningful innings for this team. But I think, I think it just speaks to where their staff is at this point, right? I mean, th- the way this organization was built for all those years was you got starting pitching, you got a great chance. Whatever else is happening, right? You could have injuries, you could have um, you know, underperformance, you could have bad months of defense, you could have good months of offense, whatever. You're going to be in an awful lot of games, and those 50-50 games that are close, low-scoring type games, you can eke out some of those. That's how you end up with mid-90s wins for so many years, and that's kind of how they're built. And how far away they are from that right now, I think is... It's just sort of obvious as we're talking about who's been their best pitcher. And we're like, the guy with the low four ZRA? That's who we're going with? Just let you know where they are. Yeah, but as you know, I mean, his ERA is like the eighth most important thing about how he's throwing. Oh, totally. And he's he's been really good according to some of the, the um, you know strikeout totals and bats missed and swings and misses and those types of things that show off some legitimate stuff. All right, how about your MVP for the Nationals at the plate? I mean, it's probably got to be Bell, who we've talked about a lot, right? Bell's my one seed here. Uh, the, the only, I mean, the the way you get, I, I remember, I can't remember what, who the hitter was. Maybe Tony Gwynn giving a talk or, or or somebody like that. But the way you hit 300 in Major League Baseball is not with hot streaks, right? Those are going to happen. Those are inevitable. Where you know where the ball finds some grass or you hit it where they ain't, etc. Et it's eliminating the down, eliminating the bad months, or limiting those to as short as possible. And Josh Bell's done that. That to me just indicates how consistent a performer he's been. He got off to a torrid start. Then had a little bit of a dip, and then he's out of that dip, it seems like, within just a handful of games. He had his, you know, two for 29 streak or whatever. You know, he, he did that thing that every major league hitter is going to do, but he's been right back out of it, right back to putting barrel to baseball and been really, really consistent. You know, leads the team uh, in, in, in so many categories. I think RBIs, he's up there, second in home runs behind Juan Soto. The, the hits, by far and away, the team leader in that. So, you know, not necessarily the on-base stuff, but guys in the middle of the order, I'm a little bit less concerned with, with walk totals. I may be sort of a dinosaur in that regard, but middle-of-the-order guys to me are about knocking in runs. And, you know, you can do that with sack flies. You can do that with base hits. No, nobody's ever gone first to home on a walk, you know, and that's part of what his role is, and, and that's something that I think he's been really, really good at this year. I care about two things offensively, really, more than everything else, which is getting on base, so I'm a big walks guy, and slugging. And OPS is really, at the end of the day, what, what it's all about. On-base, slug, Soto is great in those two areas, so I think it's actually very close where he is my number two guy on the ballot in terms of MVP. All right, with the two big awards out of the way, let's go biggest surprise. This is positive. This is good. Who's your biggest surprise this year? Carl Edwards. He might fetch something in trade. Not a late-inning reliever, but a guy on a competitive team that could throw a sixth or a seventh in an important type game. This is a guy that you know kind of rebuilt himself and turned himself back into a quality major league reliever. He's been pretty good for the Nats. I'll go Kbert Ruiz. I know he's only hitting 255. He's been a lot better than that offensively. He's also one of the hardest hitters in the league to strike out. For a young bat, that's really impressive. I love the percentage at which he's throwing runners out and how he's handled himself behind the plate. I've just been really impressed by his first full season here in D.C. as a catcher. Looks like a mainstay behind the dish. How about biggest disappointment, Danny? Victor Robles for me. This is a prime year. This is age 25. You should be entering into the best of your career. This is kind of what he's been here for the last 
three seasons, low 200s batting average, not hitting for much power, not getting on base, not walking a ton. Uh, still plus defense in center field, but you know uh, the bat just simply hasn't come along. The high water mark was 2019, where he was perfectly adequate, even fine, uh, with an OPS just under eight. He has been 600 or below each of the last three seasons. My biggest disappointment, Nelson Cruz, just eight home runs through 80 games. Basically a 16-homer pace over a buck 62. And while that's not nothing, they paid him good money. I mean, they didn't yeah. pay anybody this offseason. In fact, they haven't really paid anybody for a couple of offseasons, which is maddening to me. But Cruz is getting double-digit million dollars this year. And more importantly, really, I wanted him to have a huge first half where he hit like 22, 23 homers, something crazy, so that they could have traded him. And and if it wasn't going to be that, then at least 17, 18 home runs, big-time power. Then you flip him for something ideal, a good prospect. He hasn't hit enough home runs for them to get a great return. They'll, they'll do okay. He's got a 690 OPS, but he's a ground ball double play machine. It seems like every time he's up in a big spot, he's grounded into a, a routine. It's just a room service two-hopper. 463, 643, something like that. So it's been tough. Eight home runs, homer in about every 36 at-bats, just not what we wanted. All right, first of two conversations with some experts here. Keith Law is going to tell you, based on his new mock in The Athletic, who the Nats are going to take in the top five coming up in just a little bit. We'll look at the draft at the top of the board more from a Nats perspective with him. But let's learn about some of the names you're going to want to know come draft night this weekend with Eric Longenhagen of Fangraphs, who joined us to take a peek at the top of the big board less than one week from the start of the Major League Baseball draft in L.A.